time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. <gasps> Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of health care each and every day. That's the fact! Yeah. Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, stethoscopes date back some 200 years. We now have digital stethoscopes. But now, according to researchers, a step forward, MP3 recorders detect respiratory sounds better than traditional stethoscopes. So MP3 players may be in doctor's offices in the future. He joins us on a regular basis. He is our resident medical expert. You know him best as America's wellness doctor, Julian Whitaker, M.D. Well, Dr. Whitaker and I have a very special guest uh, joining us today to talk about a very important book. The co-founder, the co-director of the Center for Progressive Medicine, Dr. Ken Bach, joins us today, Healing the New Childhood Epidemics. Autism, Attention Deficit, Asthma, and Allergies. Our focus today will be autism with Dr. Julian Whitaker, America's wellness doctor, Dr. Ken Bach joining us. We invite you to join us at 800-307-3002 right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Well, because our mission is uh, to provide to you the healthcare news and views from credible sources that you won't hear anywhere else, America's Wellness Doctor joins us. Dr. Whitaker, hello and welcome. Good morning, Deborah. Very happy to be with you. We have a very interesting guest this morning, knowing well, very important subject. It will be uh, an, uh, an important interview for sure. But we also have some important health care news, uh, Dr. Whitaker, with the U.S. Department of Agriculture doing some analysis of people's nutritional status. They took a look at uh, nutrients like magnesium, folic acid, vitamin E, uh, B6, B12, vitamin E, and they concluded that older men and women who take nutritional supplements are much more likely to get adequate amounts of several important vitamins and minerals, quote, be better nourished than people who don't use supplements. And that was the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Right, published in the Journal of the American Dietetic Association this month. That's an excellent study because there's always been that. There's the old wives' tale, and this is truly a wives' tale, that you get all the nutrients you need from your food. You know, and that is a wives' tale. It's it's a hearsay um, because you can't. Uh, uh, other studies by the USDA have shown that um, uh, there is even with good food selection, you don't hit even the low RDAs of the vitamins in your food alone. This is why it's so important to take a daily nutritional supplement. And I think, Deborah, this information is so important that that part of the Social Security benefit of our older Americans, of those going into the baby boomers, part of the Social Security benefit should be multiple vitamins. It would would dramatically reduce the health care cost of the baby boomers if they just received a month's supply each month with instructions on how to take them. But the government will never do anything as as reasonable as that. Um, so, 
they have to go back to personal responsibility to get our uh, get the retirees to do uh, a favor to themselves, and that's to take multiple vitamins. Absolutely. Good point. And you have certainly brought to our attention the Lewin Group studies that talked about how fish oil, calcium, and vitamin D, lutein, and zeaxanthine could save a lot of lives, a lot of quality of life, a lot of money when it comes to our seniors, Dr. Whitaker. Oh, absolutely. Um, there was a study on diabetics, as you know, at Whitaker Wellness. We see a lot of patients with diabetics where they took a, a group of diabetics, they gave half of them a multiple vitamin, and half of them they gave no vitamins at all, gave a placebo. At the end of the year, uh, over 90% of those taking the placebo had a significant um, disease of an infection, you know, flu or something like that. And only 17% of those taking the vitamins did. And those not taking the vitamins had 50% more absenteeism. And if you look at, say, 30 million diabetics, mm-hmm. look at the health care, look at the money and production, production saved sure. in that number of people just by taking a multiple vitamin a day. Stack. So we, uh, I have uh, uh, been espousing the concept that the, uh, that the greatest medical breakthrough of last century was the ability to take these known nutrients that we just figured out and put them in capsule form so that you could take them. That's orthomolecular medicine. And that was our biggest break, more than antibiotics, more than vaccinations, which we'll talk about, more than surgery, um, just to be able to enhance your nourishment by vitamin and mineral supplementation. You've said it well. We have the opportunity to either be um, <laughs> the most unhealthy <laughs> because of all the reasons oh, which we well know, or the healthiest these days. That's, it's our choice. That's exactly right. It, we do have this uh, choice to be as healthy as we have ever been able to be in history of human civilization or to be as unhealthy because you have to be aggressive to really be healthy. You have to watch what you eat. Yes, there are landmines all over the place when it comes to your general health that they did not have uh 200 years ago, you know, the heavy metals and things of this nature, uh, uh, environmental toxins. But today, with some energy and effort, you could avoid those landmines and enhance your health with vitamins and minerals. Stay away from conventional doctors that are going to apply you with a whole bunch of drugs. That's a health step. And you can be healthier than at any time in human civilization. Well, certainly germane to our conversation today is a bit of uh, very interesting news, uh, sobering news coming out of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Whitaker. Wythe has a pneumococcal vaccine for childhood pneumonia called Prevnar. And apparently they are now discovering um, bacteria, uh, strep bacteria, that are resistant to all drugs in these children who have had this vaccination and what the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is uh, is uh, concerned about is that this vaccine is now being tied to superbug ear infections as a side effect of being vaccinated for uh, pneumococcal uh, bacteria that we are creating much worse risk for these children in the long run. I'm not surprised. I, I think... Um 
as we'll talk about with our guests, that um, we have taken a huge cultural step backward with the vaccination. Huge. It's just unimaginable how much damage we're doing with this wholesale vaccination of children for all of the uh, 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 in children's diseases. It's and this is another indic- uh, another way and another a clear-cut example of how when you mess with nature too much, it's going to turn around and mess with you worse. And I don't know how to stop this, but, you know, the fact that this vaccination has now created superbugs that are even going to hit the people that are, were not vaccinated is um, is a, is a, uh, uh, a terrible realization of how you keep messing with Mother Nature then uh, they're going to mother nature is going to come back and mess with you worse. Well, the FDA has certainly been uh, criticized of late, Dr. Whitaker, for its slowness to respond to situations like Vioxx. They have now launched, along with the Agency for Healthcare Quality uh, um, and Research, an investigation based upon 500,000 children who have taken the attention deficit uh, hyperactivity drugs like Ritalin and Adderall, the largest ever study of potential heart risk Knowing these drugs increase heart rate, increase blood pressure, they're now looking at the concerns that they're raising the risk of heart attacks and strokes in our children. And that they do because we now have children who have sudden death, you know, in their in their preteens and early teens, right? From Ritalin and um, Adderall, and you never you, you would never see that never. without these drugs. And these drugs are very powerful stimulants. Uh, they have a major effect not only on the brain, which it causes, it restructures the uh, the uh, brain uh, anatomy, but it has a major effect on the heart and the blood vessels, which respond in a very predictable way to stimulation, to stimulatory drugs. Um, the, the heart begins to enlarge, the, the vessels begin to stiffen. Um, this This we've known. It even carries warnings to that effect. And now if this large study, I doubt if this large study, though, Deborah, is going to be published if it's very negative. True. The drug companies True. have a real powerful way to control the media. We're going to return to Dr. Ken Bach joining us today, his latest book, Healing the New Childhood Epidemics. Dr. Junior Whitaker joins Dr. Ken Bach today to talk autism on Healthy Talk Radio. America's wellness doctor, Julian Whitaker, M.D., joining us today. He does, on a regular basis, our very own resident medical expert and a very special guest here to join Dr. Whitaker and me uh, uh, as well today. He is a noted author. Uh, the latest book that brings him to us today, very important, given the fact that we're talking about the families of almost one in three American children. Healing the New Childhood Epidemics of Autism, Attention Deficit, Asthma, and Allergy, Dr. Ken Bach joining Dr. Whitaker and me here today. Dr. Bach, hello and welcome. Good morning, Deborah. And also, hey, Julian. Good morning. Good morning, Kenny. How are you today? Very well. Very well. Nice to be with you both. Yeah, I, my uh, listeners should know I've known Kenny Bach for over 20 years. We have worked together on uh, American um, Academy for Advancement of Medicine for years, and I am uh, very proud to have you on the show, Kenny. You do excellent work, and it's very important. So let's get started. So talk to me about autism. (laughs) 
Um, well, we're in the face of, a, of an epidemic, as I think most people are aware of, seeing it in all the talk shows and in the papers. Uh, you know, it's skyrocketed at least 1,500% in the last 20-plus years, which always begs the question, what's going on with our kids? What's happening? And it's not an epidemic that's uh, isolated. You know, it's in the face of an epidemic of ADHD, asthma, and allergies, and that's why you know, I try to tie them together as to, you know, what is it? What is going on with our kids that's causing them to be have all these problems? Hopefully that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, let me ask you this, Kenny. Um, the autism rate we have in the United States has gone from 1 in about 2,500 to actually 1 in 150. And in New Jersey, I think the statistics are now with autism down to 1 in, 94. out of 99. You're 194, actually, I think. Yeah. 194. Yep. I mean, this is unbelievable. This, this, this is worse than polio. This is worse than pneumonia outbreaks. This is worse than anything we've ever faced as a culture. Um, <clears throat> I, it, do you have this kind of autism over in Europe? Yeah, you actually do in some places. England has, uh, at least the same, if not worse, actually. So it is, it is, it's widespread. I mean, I just got back from Hong Kong and China uh, doing some consulting there, and there is uh, there's an epidemic there as well, and it's increasing. So this is a worldwide phenomenon. Same thing in Australia and New Zealand. It turns out the statistics in Australia were 1 in 120. Here's the second question. Do they have the same degree of penetration into the culture of the childhood vaccinations that we do here in the United States? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think I could answer that uh, with 100% certainty because I don't know the penetration. I think it's a great question. I do think that there has been an increase. You know, as countries get, quote, developed, they think part of that development is to even increase the uh, uh, exposure to vaccinations. I know, I think, I believe in China that has been increasing. Whether that's the cause or not, you know, nobody could ever say. There's a lot of controversy about the vaccinations. The most controversial aspect in the epidemic of autism is the whole vaccination issue. Well, but, that uh, seems to me, I mean, I know we have controversy, and I think one of the reasons we have so much controversy is because to pin uh, a significant amount of responsibility or blame or causality on the vaccinations just would throw the uh, drug companies into an absolute tailspin. And the drug companies have been notorious at shirking responsibility for the dangers or the uh, negative effects of their products, just notorious at it. So therein lies the controversy, because I can't think that um, with the amount of, uh, <clears throat> of, of, of excessive increase, uh, you know, tailing right along with adding MMR to the list, you know, throwing in all the mercury uh, in the vaccinations, you know, coming up with a new vaccination a month, where children uh, only 18 months old get 27 shots. I can't fathom a reality where that is not playing a major role in the epidemic of autism. For example, just And the controversy week. is coming from the drug companies saying, no, it's not. And their excuse is that, that, that people are having defective kids, which just astounds me <laughs> that they can get away with that. 
For example, Whitaker, uh, Dr. Whitaker, just this week, uh, because I follow the British literature on, on a, almost a, a daily basis here uh, with the show, there was the announcement of, of another uh, mandated vaccine in Great Britain bringing to uh, n- the number quoted by the National Health Service to 13 vaccinations now required for uh, you know, British children to go to school. So obviously uh, there is a push worldwide. I follow the Australian literature as well for you know more vaccinations, more multiple vaccinations for more children. And the the reason these are mandated, and I think uh, uh, Dr. Bach will will uh, probably verify this, is that the drug companies, with their power, control the people who do the mandating. You know, they want to get this mandated HPV vaccine for adolescent girls, you know, to uh, supposedly cut the rate of cervical cancer, which is only 3,000 deaths a year, and they haven't shown any evidence that the uh, mandated HPV vaccination would even do it. Yet, it's mandated in Texas. So simply because it's mandated has no relationship to its real benefit. So we have, um, you know, I know that Dr. Bach has been living with this, you know, for years, uh, but it just astounds me that we could have this degree of association uh, with a pharmaceutical product or products and simply sit back and say, it's very controversial what role they play. I think what do you think, was, Dr. Bach? I think if um, it wasn't so medically, economically, legally charged, um, that it would be a lot easier to deal with. There's no question about it. But I, I think it's, it's one component. I think that the thing that gets lost when people get into, into arguing only about the vaccinations is that I think we're in the face of a huge environmentally toxic exposure to the kids. And that's what, and, and, and yes, the vaccinations are clearly a part of that, but you're talking about other heavy metals, lead. So many of the kids that I take care of have burdens of lead. Um, arsenic, you know, arsenic from chickens that are not organic, um, pressure-treated lumber, um, mercury from other sources, mercury emissions. You know, there's a study last year that showed higher incidence of autism when they broke down counties in Texas with higher levels of mercury emissions in the air. And then the chemicals, the plasticizers, the, the, you know, the polybrominated flame retardants, the PCBs, on and on, so that basically our kids are living in a toxic soup and it's the genetically vulnerable or susceptible kids that can't detoxify that I think are like the you know the yellow canaries in the coal mine. They're getting affected, and because that toxic soup is increasing, I think what's happening is the threshold is we're kind of lowering and lowering the threshold for those that are that we're seeing affected. Because you know if you had a certain level of reserve of detox, you can handle it, but with more and more exposure, that level doesn't cut it anymore. And I really believe that's what we're seeing. I think it's a really environmental issue. I think you're right, absolutely right, but I I cannot get away from the fact that we've been exposed since the 1950s to an increasing toxic load. Uh, what the industrialization of our um, commercial activity is is guaranteeing toxicity. We had lead exposure in lead paint. We've had lead exposure in lead gasoline. Uh, we've made some progress in in helping to reduce certain aspects of exposure. And we, you can't uh, equalize all of these exposures to a central characteristic that all of the uh, child's ability to uh, combat these exposures and its immune response is 
incredibly marginalized by the degree and timing of these vaccinations. You know, these exposures are there. They're going to be there. But I would submit that if we simply got rid of the vaccinations that we've in, that we have um, thrown into the mix over the last 20 years, the kids would fare far better. I know we've had Shirley Tenpenny on, on as well um, by saying that, you know, they can, you know, when you and I both went to med school, when childhood diseases, measles, mumps, and chicken pox, we just simply wrote down you either had them or you didn't have them. Dr. Whitaker, hold There's that no thought. Deal. We don't want to miss a minute. Dr. Julian Whitaker joining us today, a very special guest, the author of Healing the New Childhood Epidemics, Dr. Ken Bach on Healthy Talk Radio. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but it might just be good for your health. Now, here's Julian Whitaker, MD, America's wellness doctor, and Deborah Ray, America's first lady of health. A special guest here to join Dr. Whitaker and me here today uh, to talk about uh, his most recent book. He is not only a physician, an educator, uh, an author, um, but the messenger of, of, a, of, a, of a story that really speaks to every parent, every aunt, every uncle, every grandparent in this country with the families of almost one in three American children affected by autism, attention deficit, asthma, and allergy. The name of the book is Healing the New Childhood Epidemics. The website is www4, that's the number 4, A Healing, 4ahealing.com. Dr. Ken Bach, B-O-C-K, joining us today. And we were talking about those myriad of factors. Dr. Whitaker making the important point that vaccines, but as you mentioned, uh, Dr. Bach, multiple factors. Where do you start when these children come into your clinical practice? Well, I mean, it's a, you first start uh, with a very thorough history trying to figure out, you know, where where they kind of intersect this whole curve, this whole uh, pattern of exposures, toxins, and symptomatology and metabolic imbalances. So, you you know, each child, although the, the phenotypes, the way they present can look similar, the, the causative factors are, are different, and that's why you have to really look at each one as an individual. There are certain subtypes, and that's one of the things we're learning more and more as we really help these children, and why some of the studies that have been out there haven't been successful, because you can't look at all of them in one group. You almost have to subgroup them. We have kids that are really the gut-brain kids. We have kids that are the viral kids, kids that are really uh, uh, Dr. Bott, kids. When yeah. you say when you say the gut-brain, that means that they have... Um significant uh, 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 damage to the intestinal tract and the brain and what are the characteristics of that particular type? Right, so that kind of type would be kids who have a lot of inflammation in their guts, a lot of dysbiosis, that abnormal uh, altered intestinal flora with the pro-inflammatory factors and all the toxins that may arise from that affecting the brain. So it's it's they may have a prominent gastrointestinal part of the realness. See, this is what we're looking at now in autism, which used to be looked at as a, uh, a brain disorder, is now being looked at as a systemic disorder that involves the brain. It's a very, very right. important point. Now, what I found interesting, I know Dr. Wakefield, and I, I don't want to keep going back to the vaccinations, but I can't help it because <laughs> I think they're such a major factor. But he pointed out that even without the, the mercury contained, the mercury uh, preservative thimerosal, which was loading them up with a, you know, one of the more toxic metals you can find, 
that there was a major uh, problem in the gut associated with the immune response to the uh, MMR. Now, um, when you look at gut-brain, <clears throat> are you generally seeing virtually all of these children, uh, and I would, I, would, I would make the guess just on the frequency, have been exposed to the vaccinations. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I, I would say certainly the vast majority has. Not everyone. Yes. It, because it's again because it's not the same thing in each child, but I mean Wakefield's whole hypothesis is yes that they they because of an aberrant immune response, possibly initiated by the thimerosal and the earlier vaccines, the thimerosal is about half mercury, ethyl mercury, that then they got an MMR vaccination, which are three live weakened viruses, measles, mumps, and rubella, and they ended up with this kind of subclinical, very covert measles infection in the gut. That's one of that's the viral kids. I say that the, the viral kids, yeah, when, when I say the viral kids, it's that they may have this chronic covert viral infection. Not only uh, measles, sometimes it may be Epstein-Barr, cytomegalo, Correct. 866. Yeah. So, you know, a lot it of the It could even be say, flu vaccine. Yes. Well, the flu vaccine, uh, the flu vaccine is one of the, the problematic ones because they've taken thimerosal out of most of the vaccinations now, but they've left it in the flu vaccination, which is still right. being recommended for pregnant women and young infants and children. And I would have to say, when you talk about vaccinations, that's the one place where I would say it really upsets me nowadays is that no pregnant woman or infant or child should get a flu vaccination with thimerosal. And they can, and parents can make sure that they do exist. So parents go to the doctor. They have to make sure if they're going to get that flu vaccination. And, you know, we know there's a lot of ways that we can naturally help the immune system to help prevent the flu or certainly lessen its severity. But if you're going to get a flu vaccination, make sure it doesn't contain thimerosal. Absolutely. Another question, as you know, we do a lot of hyperbaric oxygen, and we have some autistic kids in hyperbaric. Do you use hyperbaric oxygen at your center? Yes. And how helpful have you found that to be? It varies again. I mean, the studies are just they are being done now. There's not a lot of studies out yet. They're in the process. You know, I'm, I know a number of the people that are doing them. Um, and so it's one of those things that's not covered by insurance. Uh, people have to commit to it because you obviously have to do at least probably 40 sessions. Um, everybody's looking at the de- at degree, the lower pressures, the you know the oxygen concentrates versus the 100 percent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So those studies are not out yet. I would say that there's clearly a subset of kids who respond to hyperbaric oxygen, no question, with either, with both ADHD and and autism. But I don't think we we don't have the biological markers yet, and that's another thing that we're really very we're very heavily involved in these days. People in this field are trying to figure out the markers that can clue us into the subtypes, the subgroups, and also the responders. So wouldn't it be great to have the markers that could say, hey, you know what, this child looks like they're going to respond to hyperbaric oxygen. I would say in my my mind, the kids I really think are going to respond are any kids with focal neurological deficits, kids with cerebral palsy, kids with perinatal asphyxia, in other words, kids that had some uh, low oxygen hypoxia around the time of birth or in the infancy around then, those are kids that are real clues to me that would benefit from hyperbaric oxygen. Yeah, those kids would not necessarily be uh, there to see you relative to uh, toxic exposure, though. Those generally have an additional uh, input. I know that's somewhat been my experience, for instance, in stroke rehabilitation in adults that hyperbaric oxygen is very uh, helpful at improving uh, function even three, five years after stroke. Um, 
and so consequently, when you have cerebral palsy and you have um, uh, that, uh, you know, neurological insults related to a specific incident that brings down the oxygen or damages the brain in some way, that hyperbaric oxygen likely would be more predictably beneficial than when you have this systemic autistic attack or autistic um, uh, problem with the children. Um, right, exactly. I think I think as we move into the future, we are really making incredibly exponential, you know, leaps and strides forward in terms of our understanding. And I think that's the next areas that we're really going to be elucidating. And there's, a, you know, I'm in, I'm involved in this with a lot of colleagues from some of the major medical centers, from Harvard and uh, Mass General and uh, Cleveland Clinton, etc. There's a lot of research going trying to really figure these things out. And I think as we can get these uh, this information out, we can be much more targeted. Right now, we're as targeted as we can be, and we're and we're very effective. Most of the kids that I uh, I see, we really do help. Not every one, of course. And anybody tells you that every single kid that they see with autism, they're going to recover. I think you better walk the other way quick. But some of the kids are really difficult, and some are very difficult responders. But as we understand more and more the factors and the subtypes and the subgroups, I think that's going to increase our ability to help the kids that much more. Now, if uh Family members need to get in touch with you for this kind of therapy. Which number would they call, Kenny? They would call the Rhinebeck Health Center at 845-876-7082. We'll go to 876 what? 876-7082. And that's eight, uh, area code 845, right? Right, right. Okay. And... um. <clears throat> Do you have a, a lot of uh, families travel to you from across the country? Yeah, these days, Julian, it's been amazing because I've really been around the world in terms of lecturing and teaching doctors and things and consulting. So these days you come in and it's not only uh, from across the country, from Texas and California and from uh, Utah or Michigan, but it's uh, England, it's uh, Spain, it's Australia, it's Hong Kong. It's just it's been it's pretty wild. It's, it's been unbelievable, and it's been an opportunity to help kids around the world, which has been terrific, really an opportunity. I think physicians that are dealing with this are like firemen right in the middle of a forest fire, yes. you know, where they're, where they're trying to put out the fire, and they're literally surrounded by it. Uh, the the uh, magnitude uh, and the accelerated, um, the magnitude of the acceleration of the problem. It's not just that we have a problem, it's just like, we, we, we're looking at the possibility of entire generations of children just being wiped out. Well, it's, it truly it's, is amazing. And it's the devastation. I mean, you know, I mean, the people I see, you know, people have to travel to see me are, are motivated and obviously they have to make some sacrifices in terms of time and, and cost. And they're just like you and me. That's the amazing thing. I mean, this has really taught me. Everybody always thinks it's the other other guy, you know. It's like... You know, this doesn't happen to me. You know, hey, I'm a successful physician, or I'm a successful uh, computer, uh, own a computer company, or I'm a successful lawyer. This doesn't happen to me. But yet, you know what? This is happening to everyone. There's everyone. no longer looking at this as the other person. This is happening to every type of family and devastating, you know, and you can't get, you can't talk to anybody now who does not know uh, somebody who's affected by autism in this thing. That's age. true. And, Unbelievable. And, you know, I hate to keep bringing up the vaccinations. But that is the central, most common event for all families with children is these mandated vaccinations for the childhood diseases and beyond. And I don't think that this epidemic now, which has been going for 20 years, 
has reduced in any way the frequency of vaccinations. I think the number of families that actually say no is probably one in a thousand because of the pressures on the family from the pediatrician, from the schools, the pressure on the family to uh, alter the child's immune system in a uh, in a uh, very specific manner is so great that they do it even knowing of the risk. It but is I, unbelievable. But I would say one thing that you know in the in the back of the book I have what's called a safer. I don't say safe because there's always a risk of any kind of vaccination. A safer vaccination schedule, and there are things that people can do are going to vaccinate. You can separate the vaccinations so you don't bombard an immune system all at once. Absolutely. You can give certain nutrients that are immune modulatory that will promote mm-hmm. a more healthy response. Uh, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin A, like in cod liver oil, um, transfer factor, things like that. You can also make sure you, do ne- you never vaccinate a child when they're sick, when they're on antibiotic. I mean, these are some simple things that people are not told because people, you know, from the public health point of view, when you have a child in the office, you want to vaccinate them. And not just ask what they're sick or so what they're on antibiotic. But I would tell as parents, just remember, you're going to vaccinate kids. You can do it in a safer way. I hear what you're I, saying. How do you protect the newborn? Well, I would never vaccinate a, a, a child at birth. Yeah, but they all get vaccinated. And most of the well, parents don't they, even know it. They have, well, they should be aware that... But, they, can, but, but Dr. Bach, <laughs> most of the time the parents don't even know what's happening. That, well, that's what they most hopefully, of the time. Hopefully, shows like this, people listening, can be aware that you, you you can always say no to vaccination at birth. And that, truthfully, for me, to vaccinate a child with hepatitis B at birth, unless they're planning to have sex or do IV drugs, it's I mean, insane. it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any. That doesn't make any sense. That can always be, you know. Speak to, speak to the to uh, to the most recent study. I'd welcome your insight as well, Dr. Vaca. Um, you know, speaking of nutrients and, and food, because obviously Americans' diets, our children's diets, have changed dramatically in the last five decades in this country. The latest published British research uh, linking diets rich in artificial colors and additives with changes in children's behavior and learning ability. Yeah, hyperactivity specifically, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting, yeah, because that's been talked about for years by Feingold, and everybody's kind of heard of the Feingold diet. And I think, again, I think as Julian would have said, uh, it would have been poo-pooed by uh, a lot of the mainstream. And I think what's happening is more and more research, something like that, comes out saying, hey, you know what, there, there may be a connection. And, you know, if you listen to parents, as I know, Debbie, you always have, and Julian and I always have, you, you hear certain things. You can't just keep on discounting parents over and over, a parent who says, that their kid had a problem after vaccination. A parent who says, hey, my kid eats sugar, and he goes ballistic. Um, eats artificial colors, and he has problems. So it's nice to see the research support it, but I'd also, I'd also have to say that there are certain things that we learn from the parents that um, don't always require a double-blind placebo-controlled study because when you hear it from hundreds, if not thousands, of parents, uh, yeah, I don't think every one of them is trying to put us on. No, uh, you know, it's... You know, science basically is is looking for and, and reporting, in many cases, what happens to be the obvious. Um, but we are in the area of non-science when we don't want to record or to examine the obvious when it when it comes to uh, you know challenge a vested interest, whether it's the um, uh, whether it's the uh, uh, drug companies or the chemical companies or 
or whatever it happens to be, um, you know, when it does your vested interest, that's when the vested interest is, oh, there's no science. This is all anecdotal. The kid must have been sick to begin with. So we get that repeatedly. And what I have seen is this increasing use of vaccinations. Even though we have the vaccinations that are, are central in this drama, we are bringing more vaccinations online. Before you got on, I know Deborah reported on a vaccination against pneumonia in children, which is stimulating a superbug. Dr. Hold that thought. We're going to pick that up when we return. Dr. Ken Bach joins us today, Healing the New Childhood Epidemics. You're listening to Healthy Talk Radio, worldwide, whenever and wherever you need us at HealthyTalkRadio.com. Now, more with America's favorite healthcare consumer, Deborah Ray. America's wellness doctor, Dr. Drew Whitaker, joining us today and a very special guest, Dr. Ken Bock, B-O-C-K, the co-founder and co-director of the Rhinebeck Health Center, the author of a number of books, including uh, Healing the New Childhood Epidemics. Autism, Attention Deficit, Hyperactivity, Asthma, and Allergy. Again, that website is www.4, that's the number 4, ahealing.com. And uh, to to bring allergy and asthma into the conversation, if you would please, uh, Dr. Bach, um, uh, please give us some uh, additional insight uh, with the statement that, you know, that allergies contribute to autism, asthma, and attention deficit. Well, I think it's really that's that's an important key that I think is is missed so much of the time. It kind of uh, kind of dovetails into what we were speaking about before the break in terms of the uh, food additives and hyperactivity. Uh, the thing that ties together that what I call the four A disorders: autism, ADHD, asthma, and allergies, are two major things: oxidative stress. There is those those very reactive free radicals that damage cells, and inflammation, chronic inflammation. And we see it in many different systems, especially the immune system, but in, in autism we'll see it in the, in the neurological system as well, in the gastrointestinal system. Um, in most of these disorders, there is inflammation. In the allergies, the things that contribute to chronic inflammation are several. Infections do it, and a lot of the kids have covert infections that need to be recognized, whether it's viral, bacterial, or fungal, yeast that are frequently missed, um, toxins. Uh, chemicals, heavy metals, and things like that that really need to be addressed that unfortunately are not addressed that much in terms of chronic illness, and allergies, which are the, those are the three things that contribute to chronic uh, inflammation. And so my thing always is let's get at what's driving the chronic inflammation. You have to be aware of it and identify it, but let's get what's driving it, and it's different in, in different children, and you've got to try to figure out which factors are involved, but allergies most of the time are involved. As you said, you know, allergies affect probably 20% of our nation's children. Um, you know, if you think of, we, I think we have 60 or 70 million kids, you're talking about at least 12, if not more, million kids with some type of allergy sensitivities. And this causes tissue inflammation, causes problems, contributes to so many disorders. It can, and even beyond the four A's, we're talking about migraines and abdominal pains and things. So it's, it's, it's not only the inhalants the pollens that are more common in terms of hay fever, but it's some of the inhalants, some of the things like mold that can contribute to a lot of uh, brain problems. Mold is one of those things that can make people dizzy, give them headaches, give them cognitive dysfunction, and foods. And I'd have to say that... Dr. Bach, you know, the the interesting aspect of your comments is the overriding contribution of inflammation. 
Yes. And I'm sure you do, as well as us, uh, use um, a lot of fish oil in your practice as a, because, you know, the omega-3 fatty acids have been depleted in our diet over the last 40 or 50 years. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Our thanks to Dr. Bach, our thanks to Dr. Whitaker, our thanks to you and Deborah reminding you, live long, stay healthy. 